The world is full of people happy to tell you that your dreams are unrealistic, that you don't have the talent to realize them. I never do that. Whenever someone introduces me or identifies me as a shrink, I am tempted to correct him. I'm not a shrink. I am an enlarger. I want to support people's talent. I believe in human abilities. If someone came to me and said, I'm 45 years old, my handicap is 25, and my dream is to make a living on the senior tour, I would say, fantastic. You're just the kind of person who excites the living daylights out of me. Just the fact that you're shooting 95 and you're talking about being able to shoot 70 every day means you have the kind of mind that has a chance. I live to work with people like you. I would not guarantee this fictitious duffer more than a chance. The next question would be whether he could keep that dream in front of him for 8 or 15 years. The right thinking can quickly and substantially lower the score of any golfer who has been thinking poorly. But there is no rapid, miraculous way to go from a 25 handicap to a scratch. Improvement takes patience, persistence, and practice. A golfer has to learn to enjoy the process of striving to improve. That process, not the end result, enriches life. I want the people I work with to wake up every morning excited because every day is another opportunity to chase their dreams. Tom Kite is a great example of a person who dreamed huge dreams and kept dreaming them in the face of all kinds of supposed evidence that they were foolish. A few years ago, I spoke with a man who was an old friend and competitor of Tom's from boyhood days. I went to high school with Tom and played golf with him, the man said. Ben Crenshaw was right behind us. Ben won the state championship twice. I won it once. Tom never won it. I thought I was way better than him. He seemed to be always shooting three over par. How did he get so good? The short answer was that Tom had a dream, and he never stopped chasing it. The long answer would have recounted how hard Tom worked on both the physical and mental aspects of his game, how often he endured failures, how often he bounced back as he pursued those dreams. Golfing potential depends primarily on a player's attitude, on how well he plays with the wedges, and on how well he thinks. Champions all have a few common characteristics. They are all strong-willed, they all have dreams, and they all make a long-term commitment to pursue those dreams. The golfer, whose attitude enables him to tap a higher percentage of a relatively modest store of God-given talent, can and will beat the one who doesn't know how to maximize what he has. Several years ago, Nick Price came to see me for the first time. He was then a good professional, but not a great one. He had not won a tournament in six years and had never won a major. Nick dreamed of winning all the major championships. His talent was apparent in the very low numbers he sometimes posted, rounds in the mid-60s and lower. But he was capable of following a 64 with a 76 and shooting himself out of a tournament. Inconsistency plagued him. His thinking depended on how he played the first few holes. If they went well, he fell into a relaxed, confident, and focused frame of mind. 
Not coincidentally, he shot an excellent round. If the first few holes went poorly, his concentration was shattered. He might start trying to fix his swing in the middle of the round and become increasingly erratic. Nick let events control the way he thought, rather than taking control of his thoughts and using them to influence events. You're going to have to learn to think consistently if you want to score consistently, I said. You wouldn't be foolish enough to try a different swing in every shot, would you? No, he said. It's the same way with your mind. You're going to have to decide before the round starts how you're going to think and do it on every shot. You have to choose to think well. Not many people think that their state of mind is a matter of choice. I believe it is. From early on in my career, I was attracted to the ideas of William James, the leading American psychologist of the 19th century. When asked to identify the most important finding of the first half century of university research into the workings of the mind, he had a reply which became part of my philosophy. People, by and large, become what they think about themselves. The idea is so simple that it is easy to dismiss. It's almost all a person needs to know about how to be happy. John Wooden, who won nine national basketball championships at UCLA, expressed the same idea. Winners and losers, Wooden said, are self-determined, but only the winners are willing to admit it. It's quite realistic if you accept another old concept that has unfortunately gone out of style. Free will. Free will is the greatest gift anyone could have given us. It means we can, in a real sense, control our lives. On the golf course, it means that a player can choose to think about his ball flying true to the pin or veering into the woods. She can choose whether to think about making a putt or just getting it close. Every now and then, a player says to me something like, Doc, I just involuntarily started thinking about hitting the ball into the water. I couldn't do anything about it. My response is, no, you can indeed do something about it. You can think about the ball going to the target. A golfer can and must decide how he will think. In Nick Price's case, these ideas meant that Nick could choose to allow a few missed early putts to affect his thinking for an entire round. Or he could choose to think the way he did when those first few putts dropped and he was on his way to a 64. After listening to this for a while, Nick said, If I had known this is what you were going to talk about, I would have come to see you a long time ago. Why didn't you, I asked. Well, I was afraid you'd be into something weird. I didn't realize it would be this logical and sensible. I laughed. At that point, Nick and I were ready to go out to the practice tee and work on how he could control his thoughts and make his game more consistent. Golfers like Tom Kite, Pat Bradley, and Nick Price have come to me with exciting dreams and aspirations, but they have encountered obstacles. They want help overcoming them. A lot of them tell me that they've never worked harder practicing their game. 
but they're not getting better scores and not playing consistently. The high handicappers whom I see in clinics have read all the books. They've been to six different pros. They can't understand why their games aren't more consistent. Pro or amateur, they all know one thing. They're better players than they're showing on the golf course and in tournaments. This phrase is one of the essential issues in golf. Why is it that a golfer cannot simply command his body to repeat the motion that has brought success thousands of times during practice? The answer has to do with connections between the brain and other parts of the nervous system that we still only vaguely understand. Consider the balance beam, another sport like golf in which the player initiates the action. If you lay a 4 by 4 inch beam on the floor and ask people to walk from one end to the other, it's easy. Now mount the beam 40 feet in the air with no net underneath. Mentally, the task has changed dramatically. A strong fear of failure has been introduced. Most people in such circumstances will respond by starting to think about the mechanical things they don't worry about when the beam was on the floor. They will stop trusting the body's ability to remain balanced as they negotiate the distance. Thinking that way causes the muscles to tighten and the movements of the body to grow spasmodic and jerky. A golfer who fears failure tends to think about swing mechanics. Inevitably, he will tend to lose whatever grace and rhythm nature has endowed him with, which leads to inconsistent shot making. This suggests the most important principle. You cannot hit a golf ball consistently well if you think about the mechanics of your swing as you play. The time to worry about swing mechanics must be limited, and the place to worry about them is the practice tee, and only the practice tee. You have to believe that you've practiced the golf swing enough to have faith in it. To put it concisely, a golfer must train his swing and then trust it. Amateurs will be better off forgetting about their swing mechanics on the course. They need to think about appropriate targets and strategy. They need to make up their mind that they will shoot the best score possible with the swing they brought to the course on that day. Neither Tom Kite nor Nick Price nor anyone else I work with hits the ball perfectly or even close to perfectly all the time. Winners learn to accept the swing they bring to the golf course on any given day and to score with it. As often as not, they win tournaments because they manage to use their short game and their mind to avoid a high round on the day or days when their swing is not what they wanted. Trusting is not instinctive or easy for most golfers. Maybe they have a club that gives them such a feeling of confidence that they can trust their swing when they use it. They get better results with this club because trust allows them to swing decisively and fluidly. This reinforces their confidence with that particular club. The challenge is to trust your swing with every club and score well when your shots are telling you that your swing is not in the slot. When great players are playing well, trust becomes a habit. If you don't trust right now, you'll have to work at developing thoughts and habits that promote trust. You'll have to learn to focus your mind on your target and your pre-shot routine rather than on swing mechanics. Fine athletes in every sport know the importance of trusting their mechanical skills. 
and they do it regardless of the results they achieved on their last attempt. Good athletes create their own realities. A golfer has to put aside all thought of past failures and trust that his next swing will send his shot where he aims it. If he misses a few putts, he has to believe that this only enhances his chances to make the next one. If he hits a tee shot out of bounds, he has to believe that this only means he's gotten a bad swing out of his system. Whether it's irrational or not, confidence is more effective than the alternative. Many weekend golfers step onto the first tee thinking of a dozen conflicting mechanical concepts. Without realizing it, they're doing everything possible to undermine their own game. Even the weekend players who start off trusting tend to stop doing it after a bad shot or two. They start trying to fix their mechanics. They would be far better off if they realized that as human beings, they are highly unlikely to get through 18 holes without a few bad swings. If more golfers chose to continue trusting their swings, they might be surprised at how often the brain and body respond by doing things right when it matters most. Most golfers have experienced a string of holes where everything fell into place, and for a while at least, they played the golf they had always sensed they were capable of. For one golden hour, perhaps two, the golf ball went where they wanted it to go, and they strung together pars. Then something happened to break the spell, a stub chip, a three-putt green. They went back to making bogeys. Perhaps they thought that during the hot streak, they played over their head. They did not. The hot streak represents the golfer's true capability. It results, essentially, from trust. The golfer trusts his abilities. He steps up to the ball knowing that he can pick a target and hit it there. He does things unconsciously. The swing repeats itself. It feels effortless. You can learn a lot from a hot streak. I've asked many golfers to recall and describe their state of mind during their hot streaks. I have yet to hear one respond that he was thinking of swing mechanics. Most would say that the hot streak enabled them to stop thinking about swing mechanics. That's another way of saying they were able to trust their swings. The lowest single-round score any of my players ever recorded in an official tournament was Chipbeck's 59 a couple years ago in Las Vegas. Doc, he said, I stayed out of my way the whole day. By staying out of my way, Chip meant that he had not...